We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back on the Yin's No Ball podcast. I am John Ledger. With me is Brad Spielberger, and we are talking about, drumroll please, a playoff game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It might be hard to believe for some people, Brad, but here we are. We are talking about the Steelers against the Bills. Sunday, 1 p.m. kickoff, just like a normal, regular game instead of a very important playoff game for a team that has not had, not had much playoff success in recent years. And a Bills team that is trying to get over the hump and get to a Super Bowl is one of the favorites right now, probably uh, to be in there from the AFC, them and Baltimore. So the Steelers have their work cut out for me, them. Let me ask you this to start. We had talked a little bit about it last week, watching the teams play this week and kind of getting a little more information. Do you feel like it's better that the Steelers ended up against the Bills or would it have been better if they ended up against the Chiefs? It's an interesting question. I, I think you probably could make both cases. You know, Kansas City's defense to me is a lot better, uh, although this Bills defense is certainly rounding into form, playing much better football. But um, at the same time, as I say that, the Chiefs are susceptible on the ground. And I think we are going to see, you know, a run-heavy script here. Of course, if it gets out of hand, they'll start throwing. But their game plan presumably is – limit the amount of possessions, limit the amount of snaps, control the clock, all those things, you know, get Najee 30 carries and, and hope you can win that style of good football game. And I think that actually could have in theory worked better against Kansas city, but yeah, I, I just overall, like, I, I don't know if Mason Rudolph would have done much of anything against Steve Spagnola and that coverage unit and, and the blitz packages they would throw at him and all the disguise coverages and everything. Not that McDermott is a slouch, but, but I think it's just a, better um, a better unit in Kansas City and then I know the Chiefs offense has struggled much of the year the Bills has you know have had their up and downs to a degree as well they've been better no question about it but mm-hmm. um, they quietly haven't actually been that efficient the last you know four or six weeks they've been they've been winning games um, anyway long answer short I think it kind of either way it's a tough matchup and, and very very good football teams yeah, I, it's funny because I actually think the Bills have a better chance of making a run to the Super Bowl, but I kind of think this matchup might be better for Pittsburgh. If you're like, we're talking just operating from the premise that there's a low percentage chance the Steelers win this game, especially without TJ Watt. If we're just starting at that premise, I actually think they might match up better against the Bills uh, than the Chiefs. A, Mahomes being the best player in the world, I think, is a factor, but also the Chiefs' defense is better than Buffalo's, although Buffalo's defense is still pretty good despite some injuries that they've suffered this season. So either way, it's, it's hard to find pads, like looking through the numbers and what does it look like on paper? Obviously, I haven't watched these two teams all season. What does it look like? It's hard to find pads for the Steelers to win this game without like the Bills beating themselves, which is probably, 
I don't know. Both teams have beat themselves a good bit this season, but I think the Bills beating themselves might be a little more likely than the Chiefs. I don't, it is very hard no, to say. I agree. Last two weeks, Josh McDowell has six turnover-worthy plays, three in each of the last two games. You mentioned efficiency. I think it's a fair point. It, and this is probably where I want to start, Brad. The Bills, like the Steelers, switched offensive coordinators um, very early or midway through the season, basically. And there's this idea that because they started winning, that their offensive process must be better. Like that must have been what changed it was firing Ken Dorsey. And while uh, there are definitely some things, I'm going to talk about a couple things that I noted, and maybe you've noted a couple things as well that have made a difference in terms of the OC switch. I don't know whether I would say it's like makes it clear that Joe Brady is a much better OC than Ken Dorsey, or if it's just different and teams haven't had a chance to adjust to somebody different doing different things in the middle of a season um, that those all possible. However, the bills have obviously started winning a lot more since I think they've lost one game since the OC's change and they've won what, yeah, six? They're five and one, I believe five or one. six okay. and one, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is, the the big it was hard to find statistical re, like they were really good at overall EPA per play success rate drawback EPA per play all those things when Ken Dorsey was there and everybody was kind of upset about Ken Dorsey and I think the funniest thing was everybody was talking about the run game when Ken Dorsey was there and it's like they don't run the ball and and while it's true they have run it I believe I think they've rushed more times although you have to filter in game situation they're actually leading in some of these games and there's a lot of that stuff to kind of purse through and kind of parse through and kind of figure out which one of these OCs has actually run the ball bet more neutral situations. And if that's a substantial enough difference to matter, however, they were actually better in terms of EPA per play and success rate. I believe both of rushing the football when, uh, when Ken Dorsey was there, then when Joe Brady's been there. Um, so that is an interesting wrinkle. I could not find many statistical reasons other than them just not turning the ball over as much and um, getting out of their own way more often that they were suddenly a better offense without uh, Dorsey and with Brady. So that part of it might be overblown a bit, although I'm sure there are some good things Brady brings to the table, obviously. I think so. But yeah, to me, it's it's a classic complimentary football thing. I mean, there was a stretch the middle of the year where the Bills were, I would say probably from like week like five to ten, they were like 31st in e-paper play allowed on defense. They were terrible for a stretch there, and they've been really good since. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Rasul Douglas might might go down as like one of the, you know, obviously long-term we'll see. But in terms of impact on 2023, he might have been the best trade deadline acquisition. You know, obviously like a Chase Young we'll see in, in the playoffs, but hasn't done a whole lot in San Fran. You know, my guy Montez Hutt in Chicago, great for for probably the future, but he did make an impact this year, but it doesn't really matter. So, because um, mm-hmm. Douglas has been great. I mean, he really has taken on a really, really large role in this defense, effectively now the number one corner. Um, been on the outside, but can play in the slot if, if there's an element of, you know, they want to move him around if they get to that point. But, yeah, and, and then I think the decision, the tough decision to kind of bench Von Miller and, you know, Epines has kind of been good in his fourth year. Rousseau's a good player. Like, they've gotten healthy as well um, after some brutal injuries for Milano and others. Um, but, yeah, to me anyway, like I said, I, I was trying to – that was where I started. I was, like, digging into what's different, what's changed, what can you find. If you add context, I really don't think it's fair to say there's been some massive change. It's just fewer turnovers, better defense. Therefore, they're not trying – you know, Josh Allen's not trying to hit all these shot plays. Last thing I'll say on the turnovers and turnover-worthy plays – Obviously never good, but for example, the second interception from Josh Allen in the Miami game was a good play. He gained 15 yards on that play. It was fourth and two. He threw a pick in the end zone. Could have been an even better play if the DB tried to run it out of the end zone and get tackled at the five-yard line. Like, that was an arm punt, and he does have a lot of arm punts. Anyway, a whole separate tangent, uh, but yeah. 
They're a hard team to figure out. Like there's times where it looks like they're the best team in the NFL and offensively, at least defensively. I feel like once they've righted themselves of the injuries, they've been pretty consistent. They're not like a great team, but pass rush by committee usually makes enough plays. Douglas has made enough plays for them, been a great pickup for them. There's always that game coming with him where he could, you know, get beat beat for 120 yards in a, in a game or something like that. But he definitely has been more good than bad. I think that's kind of the story of his career. The bad has been there, but he's been way more good than bad throughout his career. Uh, as Marcus Peters like uh, career, and so I I think that Buffalo, I think it's fair to say, and when we will get into this at the end of the show, that they're probably like two behind Baltimore in the AFC in terms of I think they are in Super Bowl odds, and I think I would say right now just in terms of how I feel about them, the Miami game was a clunker, and that'll leave a bad taste in some people's mouths for sure. But I just see so much self inflicted stuff, and I think who's better, who's good enough in the AFC to take advantage of that this year. And I'm just not sure if there is another team. So Buffalo in general, uh, one of the things that they've done this season with the past game uh, that's expanded, that has changed under Brady is they've started to use their backs in the past game more. And that was uh, definitely on display in a couple of games uh, late in the season. Uh, James Cook has been a big part of that, uh, not just using him as a check down option and getting to check downs, but actually ask him to run real routes. He gets vertical, he'll line up outside and he'll run routes from that alignment. So being aware of where he is, making sure you're not mismatched against them or it's going to be huge. They play pretty much every single draw down from 11 or 12 personnel. They don't really change it up that much. They are pretty much an 11 and 12 all the time. So what personnel are you going to put on the field if you're Pittsburgh to be able to combat that, especially with the injuries they've had at linebacker? To me, Brad, that is one of the biggest questions in the game. Who's on the field? How do they choose to line up and match up against the Dalton Kincaid's even the Dawson Knoxes and the James Cooks of this world. On paper, it seems like one of those games where you're going to want to play more dime defense. You're going to ask if Buffalo wants to run it, and they've run it well. Actually, this season, they're second in EPA per rush, I believe, this season. Uh, and they're one of the few positive teams in EPA per rush, too. So they will probably run it well. But look, you have to kind of pick your poison to some degree. And it's not just because you play lighter personnel doesn't mean you're going to be that much worse against the run, especially given like how who the Steelers have at linebacker this season. Like it's not like you're losing that much. So what do they do there? I think you're going to see Casey a free safety a lot. Minkus Fitzpatrick's probably going to play. I bet he plays near the line of scrimmage a good bit. They'll blitz him probably. They'll try to create splash plays. They'll actually ask him to be a part of what they're doing in the run game. You know, Roberts being in the mix there. And then who is going to play that other linebacker spot? Will it be another safety? Uh, will Killebrew play? Like it's just a lot of questions to me personnel-wise how they're going to try to match up with Buffalo. Yeah, so you touched on two things that I did want to get to as well. We obviously were looking at a lot of the similar similar stuff. Was one and the one tangible thing you can say Joe Brady probably changed, and it's not just because of Buffalo. It's actually because of his history too. Mm-hmm. Is lining up James Cook in the slot and out wide, like you said, asking him to run legitimate vertical routes, not just you know stuff out of the backfield. Look, he was there for Clyde Edwards Hilaire at LSU, and he obviously coached in Carolina with Christian McCaffrey for a stretch. So. I, like that's again, I'm not saying he like discovered that those guys could catch the ball, but he he leans into it, and, and that is James Cook's skill set. The second piece I wanted to get to, so the Bills were 31st for us in 12 personnel last year. They obviously you know trade up in the first round. He take Dalton Kincaid, clearly trying to change that. Defenses have not respected it and played base against them. <laughs> like I mean, you mentioned dime, you know, three safety, um, potentially some big dime, three safety looks, uh, big nickel, whatever you want to do. 
in terms of if it's a safety or a corner, you know, based on just the personnel you have available to you. Um, wow. Breaking news. Titans fire head coach, Mike Vrabel. Uh, yeah, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but, but like we've, we've seen the defenses have not really, you know, adjusted to this. Oh, you know, for, for reference, a lot of teams against 12 personnel, you know, if you're playing San Fran, whoever, you have to put out like more linebackers and try to match the side. Otherwise they're going to run the ball down your throat. While Buffalo is efficient and running, I think it's more so they, and, and shout out Greg Olson, who said this in the broadcast, they pass to establish the run. They're so good throwing the ball, and Josh Allen's such a weapon with his arm and with his legs that I think it's a bit of a selection bias issue where, yeah, they're efficient um, in part because of a lack of volume uh, on the ground at times. But anyway, th- those were two things I want to touch on. The last one was Gabe Davis might not play in this game. We're getting injuries a little bit with Minka. Um, it's something he's going to try to play. And I'm not the biggest Gabe Davis fan by any stretch of the imagination, but he's that 20 yards per reception, that, you know, vertical threat can take the top off. If you, if you lose sight of him, he's walking in for an 80 yard touchdown type of player. If he is, does not play, you can really condense, condense the field. And again, personnel part of this as well, but you know, they have like Trent Sherfield and, and, um, Khalil Shakir, a lot of smaller shiftier slot guys. Um, and, you know, Dante Hardy, uh, and then the tight ends. So if he doesn't play, I think it goes that that point as well um, of really, you know, matching up the personnel, but maybe not having to be super heavy with your personnel just because it's just not what Buffalo is trying to do, even if that's how they line up. It helps because he's definitely their second best wide receiver. And just that alone helps Like if he wouldn't be if he wouldn't play in the game or would play very little in the game. Because Pittsburgh has nobody to match up with, like a number two wide receiver who's even like decently decent quality. Um, this is a very much a game where you could see Pat Pete uh, playing playing as at safety, and you could see the steel. You could see a number of different things. You could see Pat Pete actually in the slot uh, matched up against Kincaid a good bit in this game. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you could see in this game uh, in terms of matchups and how they use their safety personnel. But yeah, bottom line, you probably are going to get with how much the Bills are in 11, you are probably going to get Levi Wallace on the field a lot in this game. So if he doesn't have to match up against somebody who's actually accomplished much in their NFL career, big plus, no question about it. Now, I think Khalil Shakir is a Shakir is a good player. He's like a solid player. And so I don't know that the drop-off is that significant in terms of talent, but the Bills probably won't game plan the same way if Gabriel Davis is out. So could save Levi Wallace, which is huge. Obviously, I think it probably goes without saying at this point, it would be a shock if you did not see Joey Porter Jr. follow Stefan Diggs. Very challenging matchup, I'd th- say, for Porter Jr. Diggs just being one of the best route runners in the league. Those are the types right now that we're kind of watching real closely when it comes to Joey Porter Jr., who are the best route runners, who are the guys that can get him off balance at the top of the route and create separation. He's been way better against those types than I even expected to see this season. However, I would assume that is still going to be the probably the biggest question mark area. So those matchups defensively with the Bills weaponry, just because of how limited the Steelers' options are, but also the fact that the Bills, while they have, I think, better options than even they probably had last year with Kincaid in terms of talent, the reality is he's still a rookie. James Cook, still a young and experienced player. We saw him drop a touchdown uh, the other night against against Miami in the end zone. So there is still some unprovenness to this group that's, you know, Pittsburgh's going to have the experience edge. I don't know whether that's going to be helpful or not because they don't have much talent in the secondary, but a lot of their guys have played a lot more football than the players that they'll be going up against, especially if Gabriel Davis, who is a playoff monster whether i think that matters or not like let's just look at reality like when they've been in the playoffs that is when he's played his best ball so 
that is kind of Loki a big injury, not just because Davis is sat good. He's like such a great player, but because behind him, the depth drops off pretty quickly. And it's such a weak spot for the Steelers defense that even having any drop off there for the Bills offense is probably a pretty big plus for Pittsburgh. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. For sure. And it's also just skill set specific. Like they have this rookie, Justin Shorter, who I think basically just didn't play the entire year. Uh, was kind of like an IR stash. He is the, I mean, they, you know, Gabe Davis, a pending free agent. He is clearly supposed to be the replacement. You know, it might just, he might just not be a guy, but you know, six four, two thirty, you know, whatever, 225 type of dude. Um, but yeah, I don't think you're going to get that. So yeah, like you said, he, you know, he, he, I mean, there was a stretch where he didn't have a catch in four of six games before, um, I think the last two, um, but yeah, he had the the what uh, two hundred yard four touchdown playoff game uh, a couple of years ago. I guess Deontay Hardy has some some Saints playoff experience, but yeah, otherwise it, it does it it knocks you down a peg in terms of experience for some of the guys, the newcomers. Obviously, the the retained Buffalo guys all have playoff experience, but you know, I think Kincaid's his. And he was big in that Miami game. Um, I think his importance is going to just be on full display, and so that's that's going to be a huge, huge key matchup. Maybe get some Minka there. Um, you know, Michael Walker, you know, Mark Robinson, like that, that's going to be a focal point for sure. And then, yeah, love JPJ. Um, not a good matchup. We, I like him more against the big bodied, you know, physical, uh, not the, the, you know, surgeon route running a separation guy like a Stefan Diggs. not saying he can't do it, but it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. I'm not counting him out. I, I, I agree with you in theory, but I just played so well this season that I, I don't, I'm not like terrified of it it's not you know i don't think he's 
totally overmatched. So, so we'll see. I, I am, I'm very anxious to go back and watch that one on tape too. Like how much does his physicality disrupt what Diggs wants to, especially as Diggs is aged. I do think there's a path there to that having success. I think we've seen that before with some teams, Kansas city's one, but I, 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 I mean, this is still a really good player. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Now, Pittsburgh, what they opt to do coverage wise, because there's not like a coverage that Josh Allen struggles with per se. He's played long enough that we've seen fluctuations against everything. So those numbers don't really tell me that much necessarily, but Pittsburgh, you know, they've, Definitely have opted to run some man coverage. And if they trust Joey Porter Jr. and they think their matchups at, you know, in the slot or with Cook are, are good enough, they could be a pretty man coverage heavy approach. Uh, it's just going to be fascinating to see what they do pressure wise this season because Josh Allen tends to hold the ball a little bit longer than than most quarterbacks. He's actually down this year. I don't know if his time to throw this season is let's see what it is compared to the best. I know this. Of- he has the best pressure to sack rate in the NFL. <laughs> um yes. And let me dive in real quick while you're pulling that up because it ties into my main point. And I, I did some research, some homework. Um, are they different rosters? Yes. But I thought it was important to look at 2022 Steelers with TJ Watt, without TJ Watt, specifically in this context. Because Josh Allen, we do say this is not a stable metric, but Josh Allen's incredible against the Blitz. He was third in the NFL for us this year in passing grade against the Blitz. He was sixth last year. I think he's the only quarterback maybe Mahomes as well. Like that's top 10 in both years because it isn't a stable metric, but I think Allen in particular um, does excel against the blitz. And last year without TJ Watt, the Steelers were third in the NFL in blitz rate for PFF charting at 42% um, and ninth in stunt rate, clearly trying to, you know, game a lot of things up and, and generate pressure with TJ Watt. They were 12th in blitz rate, 30%. So, you know, 12% increase without TJ Watt, and they were 19th in stunt rate. And here's the, I think, the key thing for me. With TJ Watt in the lineup, when you're not blitzing, just four rushers, they were number one in the NFL in pass rush win rate last season with Watt. Without only sending four rushers, they were 15th. So they're going to blitz. Like I, And like you said, are they going to play man behind it and trust those guys to do it? Um, the way Luana Rumo beats Josh Allen in the playoffs is dropping eight and not sending pressure and doing a lot of different things. So that's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating because... Deion Dawkins is a solid left tackle for Highsmith. Um, you know, anyway, it's that, that that to me that to me is kind of the game right there. I think it's going to be the the underlying subplot narrative of the game. And it's hard because even if you get pressure on Josh Allen, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful. <laughs> like it's not like a Jared Goff situation, you know, where it's like if you do this, this will happen. Like and you almost know it with certainty. It's just not that way with Josh Allen. Like he's he could get out of that. He could make plays out of structure that hurt you even worse. And so containing him is almost as big of a deal in this game. And and I I hear all the Watt stats, and I I obviously I think TJ Watt's unbelievable. That stat to me is to, uh, said a couple things. One, the importance of Watt. Two, the fact that they just had nothing like behind him until this season. And this season, that's different, and that's changed. And so I think that will matter, and that's an important part of this. Three, I think that while Watt matters a ton, I, I think, honestly, if you can just contain the pocket – and play well in coverage, that is to me like the big and, and make create a takeaway. Like it just, I mean, what you said is pressure to saccharate this season. It's like 10% or something like that. Like he just he is very hard guy to get on the ground. It's almost more dangerous because he can get out of structure so much and break tackles when you invite him to play that way. Um, and why well, still very good from the pocket, obviously. Yeah, it's almost like you have to be selectively disruptive and you have to make plays in coverage first, um, and then get, have your pressure finish. And so 
I don't know that it's as big of a deal as it would be against a, a you know a, a true pocket quarterback, for example, um, to, to lose Watt for this game. However, obviously, we're talking about one of the best defense players in the league. He can also create those splash plays. That's what you miss the most is that one of your best players are creating splash plays. Make it Fitzpatrick, no splash plays this season. Like has obviously barely played and been healthy. Could could we get one of those? Could we get two of those? You know, like. This is like would be a, I mean nobody's talked about Mike Fitzpatrick all season and he's arguably the best safety in the NFL. He's obviously missed most of the season, but guys like that typically make themselves heard at some point if the sample size is large enough. So could that be this game where we see him make a play or two? Would be pretty fun if that could happen. Uh, would give the Steelers a chance. There's almost no path to victory for Pittsburgh without turnover creating turnovers and splash plays defensively like it's it's almost the only way that it can happen uh that i can look at we haven't looked at pittsburgh offensively yet but we will but yeah buffalo just is very good and they've been pretty good honestly all season offensively except for when they beat themselves with mistakes and turnovers that is that and this hasn't been sacked so when i say mistakes it, it hasn't really been sacks it's mostly been turnovers this season when that's happened and that's to me, like, what else is Buffalo bad at offensively? Like, what else would you question about them offensively right now, Brad, given how they play? I don't think their offensive line's amazing. I think the right side of their offensive line, while they're talented players, are, is beatable. Cyrus Torrance really struggled last week. Um, you have to play Benton. I know that's us saying it isn't going to make it happen, but you have to play your best players. Like, that's important. There's pathways to Steelers winning some one-on-ones up front defensively, but other than that, like, what is Buffalo not good at offensively? Yeah, no, you mentioned the right side. Um, you know, Cyrus Torrance, the rookie guard. Uh, Spencer Brown, I think, has gotten better this year. But yes. I just, I hated that matchup for him against TJ Watt in particular because when I watch him, he plays high. He's like six mm-hmm. foot eight, I think, and like the type of rusher that Watt often is, bending around the edge. Um, you know, good ankle flexion, all, all the stuff you you study at a, uh, you know, very like that kills Spencer Brown. He he handles, I think, speed to power fairly well. Um, you know, that is, I mean, sometimes he gets driven backwards if he has his feet too close together, stuff like that. But but I think in particular, it was not a good matchup for him against T.J. Watt. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, the last couple of weeks, like we said, have been a little bit clunky. But it's also like Stefan Diggs hasn't really done anything in six weeks. That's not going to continue forever. Um, you know, you, you saw when Dawson Knox came back in a lot of are missing about six weeks himself. Um, I think him and Kincaid have established a really nice kind of, you know, they're very different players. Um, Kincaid is your classic flex tight end. Um, Knox can get in there and block and, and do some different things. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to poke many holes in this Bills offense, especially, you know, in 2023 when offense is struggling across the board. Um, you know, you could take San Fran, maybe Baltimore. You know, there's a couple teams, Miami against bad teams, uh, Dallas against bad teams. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, Buffalo Buffalo is, is very, very good on offense. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find many weaknesses, and they've obviously got to find ways to keep the run game from killing them. But if you've got to pick your poison, make Buffalo be a team that commits heavily to running the football uh, because of how you're playing. And if they have the same success rate and you can't do anything on offense, you dip your hat. Uh, but I just don't know that um, playing, you know, where you're loading the box and all these kinds of things like are going to it's going to be especially because Buffalo is going to spread them out um, at times as well. So, yeah, this is uh, it's very tough matchup for Pittsburgh, I think, because of yeah, we, the, even spreading them out. You know, where I was just indicating like that's been an issue for Pittsburgh over the years. How do they match up when teams spread them out? Uh, I think is a really uh, tough spot for them to be in bills or one of the heavier teams. We're obviously just talking about empty personnel, but um or when you're in an empty look, um, you know, it's not going to be a heavy percentage of what you do, but the bills are 
uh, I believe the fifth highest or, or tied for fourth highest percentage of empty looks in the league offensively this season. And Pittsburgh has typically struggled to match up against those. So it's going to be a real challenge. On top of that, the Bills A dot has picked up considerably over the last three weeks. They are starting to air the ball out down the field. It's not always been successful, but they certainly have found their fair share of plays. Some plays they've missed that have been there. Um, you know, how long, how often is a quarterback like Allen going to miss those plays? I don't think very often. Pittsburgh has been very bad down the field this season. They haven't been tested as much lately, but last couple of weeks is it's probably saved them that they haven't played very many good quarterbacks or offenses. Um, but they have been uh, one of the worst teams in the league, giving up splash plays uh, through the air as well. So the matchups just on paper, it's just really tough for Pittsburgh defensively, unless they could find a way to win one-on-ones up front. Um, because if you go crazy blitz heavy against Josh Allen, I don't think that's going to work. You almost have to get pressure with four and you have to be able to contain the pocket uh, and get pressure at the same time. Uh, which means you know a lot of discipline, obviously, and how you rush. So, man, it's an interesting game, especially with I. I'm kind of you know, although I miss TJ Watt, like I'm so glad his injury is not a long term one. Um, I don't think the Steelers are going to do much in this postseason anyway. So I'm kind of thinking ahead, and this is kind of a really cool way to see more of Nick Herbig in this game. Hopefully, they don't just play Marcus Golden all of Watt snaps. That would be absolutely ridiculous. But couldn't you see that happening? <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. I'd just be furious. If we get Herbig's played like eight or 10 snaps, I'll just lose my mind after this game. But he has to play, and he has to play a lot, I think, in this game because he gives you that juice to be able to make a, a splash play and him working against Spencer Brown. He can rush off both sides. Like That's the other thing about Herbig. Uh, we saw in preseason, and so I would be pretty excited uh, to see that matchup as well. So I'm excited for this game, even though like I don't think this, I'm not very optimistic the Steelers will win. Uh, let's talk about the Steelers' offense in a second, but let's want to press pause. This will be like our intermission here. Let's talk about Vrabel. Uh, he the Titans have decided to fire him, so not trade him or anything. The Titans just decided to fire him. This is pretty. I mean, again, we're reacting to this because it's breaking news, not necessarily related to the Steelers, but. Uh, Ollie Connolly said on uh, Audibles and Analytics with me the other last week. He said he dropped this with bombshell to me because I don't think anybody was talking about variable at the time, or if it was, it, you probably corners you're in probably you heard something about it, but it wasn't really out there like publicly. And he was like, "Don't be surprised if the Titans move on from Vrabel, and if they do, if if they decide to trade him, the Patriots could be a team that's really interested." Well, they didn't decide to trade him. Sounds like they're firing him. Patriots are out there right now, still with Belichick as their head coach. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Maybe they're waiting for this. Um, Vrabel would probably move to the top of their list, I would guess. But either way, this is one of the rare situations, isn't it, where a guy, if he wants to, will be a head coach somewhere else right after being fired as a head coach, I would say. And here's my takeaway. So, yeah, that that, was, that chatter was going around um, that he could be the, the target for the Patriots if they move on from Bill. And here's where I, where I think this went was teams obviously want to trade coaches, uh, get draft capital. You saw the Saints get a first and second round pick for Sean Payton last year. Belichick is more so than Vrabel. Vrabel, I think, kind of operates in the shadows, or maybe I just don't see it because it's a tiny media market. Like Belichick is making it impossible for him to trade him because he's in his mind saying, why would I go somewhere? And then my new team is giving you draft capital. I'll, ma- I'll just make you fire me. And so I think Vrabel is probably in the same boat. No, I, yes, yes, everyone wants my services, and and I will be hired tomorrow if I want to keep coaching in the NFL. I'm not going to deplete the, the resources that my new team has. So, yeah, if you don't want me here anymore, fire me. Um, Yeah, so here's the thing with with this. I heard this even going back to the offseason. Not that him and Rand Carthon did not like each other, but they vehemently disagreed on the direction of the team. 
You saw Rand Carthon come in, move on from some older players. Um, but still, they signed DeAndre Hopkins. They keep Ryan Tannehill on a $27 million salary, made more than probably one of the five highest paid players in the NFL this year. He played like five games. Um, they signed Andre Dillard to a, a pretty strong contract in free agency. On and on and on and on. Carthon wanted to come in and tear the whole thing down because, he, I mean, in my opinion, I think he was correct. This roster is not good. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and you need the rookie quarterback, all these things. So that was the issue. And I get Vrabel can, can get more out of his talent than probably any coach or, you know, up there in that conversation. Um, but, you know, it's just at a certain point, you, you just don't have it talent wise. So, yeah, it's fascinating. I still wonder if, you know, he, he's on the Patriots list, if they now fire Bill, because I do think Bill's going to do the same thing and just demand, not demand, but say, yeah, if you want me, go and fire me. I'm not I'm not going to deplete the resources yeah. of my new team. So I think that right. is the new new thing in the NFL. Um, and this is crazy. I mean, the Titans, look, I know they've been bad the last two years. I know everything I just laid out. But this is a guy that in Tennessee, what is it? He had four straight winning seasons. He got a one seed in the AFC when it was like the premium gauntlet of the AFC they made an AFC championship game. He's an, he's an awesome, awesome coach. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I totally see this both sides on this one, but ultimately I feel like you almost have to find some way to keep them, but they'd already just hired Rand Carthen. So you can't like, it's just, they put themselves in a hard position by allowing Vrabel to have the amount of influence that he had, I feel like. And so that to me was a part of this is just, the if you just talk about the coaching stuff, I think Vrabel's excelled, but yeah, no doubt. They just, this, this offseason was a train wreck and he was a big part of why that was a train wreck. You know, he decided to spend money on players that he shouldn't have been spending money on. And he decided to um, not trade players and, and didn't want to trade players and part with players. They absolutely should have, and they could be sitting pretty right now, big draft capital, basically the same record they just had ready for a rebuild. And he made a lot of decisions and was a part of making a lot of decisions. And you would guess the driving force behind making a lot of decisions that set this franchise back um, how you're losing a heck of a coach though. And that's the big problem. Whereas I think the Patriots is just time. Like you need to turn the page. I think Vrabel could have won with Tennessee if somebody else would have been making the personnel decisions. But my guess is like you said, he wasn't down with that. And that led to this. And I appreciate the difficulty of the situation for Tennessee. I also know that most people are not going to see the nuance in this. And when Vrabel goes somewhere else, and it's probably has the right amount of power he should and is successful as a head coach. Um, it's going to be, you know, very bad look for the Titans. The last thing I'll say is this before we jump back to Steelers, Brad, or, or get your thoughts on this and jump back to the Steelers. The OC thing is a real thing, right? Like Vrabel, a head coach, but a defensive head coach. There's not a ton of them, and there's less in the playoffs every year. In fact, I usually go through and say how many make the playoffs each year, and it's almost always overwhelming. Offensive coaches are you know, hardball, special teamer. But defensive head coaches have a hard time longevity-wise if you can't, if you don't have the OC right. And Vrabel has had the OC right a couple times, right? Who's he at? He's a LaFleur, Matt right? LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith. Yeah. And, and then, if, then what? He had to go to number three, and he's only been a coach. How long was he in Tennessee? Six years? Like six, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he lost so, two head. Co- I know Arthur Smith just got fired, but he's yeah. viewed as a, you know a pretty good offensive mind right. on the floor. Always made the playoffs every year. He's been a head coach. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> so when Arthur Smith was year. the Titans' OC, yeah. he was coveted because yeah. like he became a head coach candidate and got hired. Like the and they had good offenses despite personnel that was meh. You know what I mean? So. Yep. Yep. It's just so important if you hire a defensive mind head coach, they nail the OC hire. But even if they do nail the OC hire, the longevity of it's just so short because you're just going to not have that guy very long because he's going to get hired as a head coach somewhere else. And that is 
this is kind of, to me, a microcosm of the significant challenge that it is when you hire a defensive-minded head coach. You can think the world of a guy as a leader, and D'Amico Ryans is going to be up against this, I believe, as well. He's going to have to face this significant challenge. I mean, look at the Bucs. Dave Canales has been pretty solid this season. There's lots of major issues I have with him. There's a lot of really good things he does, and he's on every team's head coach list. I carry a lot of them, and it's just like one season. This guy was in Seattle for years. He never called a play. One season, you catch somebody's eye, and everybody wants his head coach. It's just so hard to retain these guys, and it's so hard to replace them year after year. And I just wonder at what point. If wonder if this is a big. Uh, kind of a mild marker in looking back. If we look back five years from now and be like, when teams saw this go down, a guy who's recognized around the league is one of the best defensive, one of the best head coaches in the league, go down because the play call, he couldn't keep that part of it going. Obviously, the talent fell off too, but is it Todd Downing now? Is that who it is? No, he's with the Jets oh, now. I don't even know who their OC is. Too. That was one of his OCs, wasn't it? Yeah, Downing was the OC. He who's got a DUI last year, so they had to let him go. Uh, he also wasn't any good. Uh, yeah. So he's the pass game coordinator for the Jets now. Who is the Titans OC right now? Oh, but also, I want to say, like, Jets, that's looking good. <laughs> yeah, that's looking great. That's looking great. <laughs> Tim Kelly, who was with the Houston Tim Texans Kelly, for a right. while, um, yeah. who I actually think is okay. Mixed reviews on him, but I thought he was decent in Houston. I mean, yeah. they, had, they had no talent either. But but the offense so falling off the last two seasons is a big part of why this is for happening. Sure. It's for sure. Yeah, for and sure. The personnel's probably gotten worse, but yeah, that's that's a big part of it. But so here's the beauty of it. This is a Steelers podcast. So A, if you aren't aware, everything that John said is Steelers centric, whether he said it explicitly or not. And I'll <laughs> do the second, I'll do the second piece of that for us. So if you're smart to highlight it, because we all talk about this in a theory of why it's such a risk to hire a defensive defensive head coach. There's a perfect example. Like that, that is the poster child, and you're saying maybe we'll view that as an inflection point. Here's the other one. This is a quote from Titans ownership uh, that I think is extremely telling. And also, it's a, this is a quote about the Steelers as much as the Titans. As the NFL continues to innovate and evolve, I believe the team's best position for sustained success will be those who empower an aligned and collaborative team across all football functions. Last year, we began a shift in our approach to football leadership and made several changes to our personnel to advance that plan. As I continue to assess the state of our team, I arrived at the conclusion that the team would also benefit from a fresh approach and perspective of a new coaching staff. What she's saying is the head coach should not be in charge of personnel. That's what the quote, that's what the quote is. <laughs> it's a lot of fluff and buzzwords to say, we have decided that going forward, again, the head coach can have a lot of say in personnel that the Andy Reeds exists. Belichick. I know it's not, hasn't been good for five years, but it was good for 15, but these head coaches, and again, like you said, someone will give variable full power, but I think smart orgs are understanding it's just too much to put on one person's plate. And if we delegate responsibilities and spread that out, that is probably the most optimal alignment. And and I look, it is a Steelers quote. I do think Omar has a lot of power. And, and I think that I know Tomlin probably has final say, but yeah. I think it is collaborative. But but yeah, both, both of your point and my point are fitting for a Steelers podcast. We'll put it that way. Yeah, it's true because here's the the challenge is with Tomlin's situation, he hasn't even nailed the OCR. He's nobody that gets hired away from his organization. So the first step is actually getting this thing right as with Vrabel's situation where he was able to do that and they were able to go to an AFC Championship game and do things that, frankly, the roster had no business doing talent-wise because in large part they had one of the top two back-to-back -to -back top OCs in the league, no matter what you think of Arthur Smith as a head coach and some of the decisions he made um, in, in Atlanta. I think that is a, such a huge part of it because you, Tomlin not only has to get that part right for this to be successful in Pittsburgh eventually, but he also has to keep that guy. And then he also has to do it at quarterback. 
and you know Arthur Smith's ultimately been outdone because he couldn't do it at quarterback. Personnel wise is why Arthur Smith hasn't has been overdone. He didn't couldn't figure out personnel wise as a head coach. And so there's two aspects of it, and we've seen both. I think there's been no indication that either are getting better. And that's just kind of another example of why I talk. I'm not going to go off on a tangent again, but this is why I talk about this on this podcast so much is because I believe he has to do two of the hardest things head coach can do. He's shown no ability to do those things. He's inherited, you know, Bruce Arians. I know he promoted him, but Bruce Arians and, and Baron Ellisberger, but he showed no ab- real ability to build on those things. Haley was a solid hire at the time. Certainly that ended up flaming out. They didn't accomplish the ultimate goal. Um, and that hires have just gotten worse since then. And so have the quarterback selections just gotten more questionable, I would say. And, but they also aren't in a position to really draft a high-end quarterback either and develop. So he has to nail both of those moves and then keep both. Obviously, the quarter, keeping the quarterback is much easier. Keep the OC and sustain the success. I mean, if you get the OC and the quarterback right, and the quarterback's good early in his career, people are going to want to hire that OC before your window hits as a Super Bowl team. Like, this is just the narrow path. Like, that's what it is. And, and you can look at teams that make the playoffs every year and – Teams are winning the Super Bowl and have success and making the Super Bowl McVay and Shanahan. And obviously Belichick's the exception to that. He had the greatest quarterback of all time. And he had an OC that kept coming back to him to work with that greatest quarterback of all time because nobody else wanted him slash he didn't want to go anywhere else slash he's a jerk. So so that, so that they were able to make something rare work there with Belichick. But by and large, it just hasn't been the path uh, for success in today's NFL as it currently stands, especially over the last five years or so. So anyway, enough on that tangent, but it does, like you said, apply to Pittsburgh as well and is worth thinking about. Back to your regularly scheduled Steelers-Bills content. Uh, Steelers offense. I want to read you some stats here, Brad. They have been way better statistically without Matt Canada, which because of the Trubisky thing, we all kind of – Got lost sight of that a little bit. And I said that to, I was kind of kicked myself going out of this last game, you know, where they were obviously not great against Baltimore, but I was still wondering, okay, they've had three of their best games, one with Pickett, two with Rudolph, and not necessarily the Pickett game. He was pretty awesome. The second Rudolph game, I think he was also made some, some really good plays. And pro, so, but just in general, like there's been way more open receivers, like this, it's just looked way better. And so I was wondering, what is the statistical breakdown? Because the Trubisky thing probably dropped it down where it's pretty comparable looking because Trubisky was so bad. No, not at all. Even with Trubisky's games, the two and a half games he played, listen to this, Brad. Weeks one through 11, 24th in EPA per play. Weeks 12 through 18, 18th in EPA per play. Weeks one through 11, 26th in success rate offensively. Weeks 12 through 18, ninth. I had to look up that stat like six times to make sure I was seeing it the right way, Brad. Ninth in success rate. Weeks 12 to 18. Weeks 1 through 11, 27th in dropback EPA. Weeks 12 through 18, 18th in dropback EPA. Weeks 1 through 11, 28th in dropback success rate. 12 through 18, 13th in dropback success rate. Weeks 1 through 11, 8th in rush EPA. Their rush EPA actually dropped. Uh, in weeks 12 through 18 and 19th, but their success rate rose. They're fifth in success rate weeks 12 to 18 and 11th in uh, rush success rate through the first, through Canada's tenure. So literally almost every single category, significantly better without Canada. And that's including two and a half games of Mitch Trubisky starting a quarterback for you. So there is some positive signs here for the Steelers offense that they're figuring things out. Some of the most dramatic, getting the receivers involved more on offense Literally just point blank. I like I don't know how to say like literally just throwing them the ball more. <laughs> like and just saying we're going to throw you the ball more. We're going to give you shots down the field more. Um, doing those things has been really really helpful for the Steelers this season. 
That is going to be challenging against this Bills defense. They have uh, one of the best safety pairings in the league. They have uh, just good depth in general uh, at, on their defense. Um, in the secondary, they have guys that have risen up and played pretty well, I think, this season, um, despite the injury to Trey White. We talked about Douglas being a part of this thing. But they have found ways to get explosive plays down the field by targeting these two guys. Getting them the ball more has changed the trend of the offense, really, and that's almost it. You know, Offensively, they haven't really protected – so much better. There were a couple games, but they lost those games really where they protected well. They haven't protected that well. Recent games, um, there's mixed bags against the Ravens. I think it was more good than bad. But um, so I think the biggest thing has just been like, let's get our best players the football, which seems simple. Also, the other thing is just way more in breaking routes, way more horizontal route concepts for this team in general. Those things have trended in the right direction and have this offense looking like they're not just the worst most ridiculous looking group in the league anymore. There, there's still moments of that, but it's not by and large where this group is on a drive to drive basis. Yeah. The, uh, the, the one piece there, it sounds oversimplified, but I think Matt Bowen tweeted the other day, like it's about players, not plays sometimes. And again, that's oversimplified. Sometimes you do need great scheme and you can get more out of players than you have. But at the end of the day, giving your stars the opportunity to make a play, you know, <laughs> Never a bad idea, um, you, you know, for sure. So, yeah, those, those stats are interesting, too, because, you know, I was quickly looking at kind of opponents over the stretch for both buckets. Yeah, they played like, you know, Ravens and Brown, like a lot of good te- defenses in the first stretch. But Patriots have a good defense. Um, and you mentioned that includes Trubisky games uh, as well, who I think has proven to be the worst of the three quarterbacks. So, yeah, no, I think that there have been, like we talked about, like there have been, you know, noticeable, tangible improvements. They're not reinventing the wheel um, but it, it also just kind of speaks to, I mean, really how elementary this offense was, um, you know, with Matt Canada under the hel- uh, under the hood. So, yeah, I, I mean, there, there, there's reasons for optimism going forward, too. I think if you just try to learn from the mistakes and, and, and see the error of your ways, um, you know, b- because. I don't know. It goes back to what we just talked about with Tomlin, but it's just like I know you and you and I will probably always disagree on these fronts, but. You know, I, I'm convinced maybe eyes will be opened, uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong in that regard. But wait, eyes will be open to what? Like to realizing, like, okay, like I can't like fuck around. Excuse my French. Oh, yeah, and just right. like not get the OC thing right, and not like really push myself to find someone that is going to push this thing forward. Be innovative. Be creative. Again, you don't have to just poach from a tree, and we're not, you know. Oh, there's a magic fix by just hiring someone who met Kyle Shanahan at a coffee shop one time. But, <laughs> but yeah, just like I'm not even into the buddy thing. Like, I, it's not even about that. It's part of it. But, um, but yeah, you know, just just believing that you actually should really make a concerted effort to not just allow status quo. Um, yeah. you know, because you you need both sides of the ball, and frankly, in today's league, you need the offense. Uh, you know, to really win meaningful games come January. So, yeah. And this shouldn't be the standard what they've done since the Canada firing, but like the fact that it's just actually returned to a semi-respectable level of play um, shouldn't be lost either, especially because, yeah, they didn't have their starting quarterback and I believe probably their best quarterback, you know, playing for this stretch. And so it does, it does matter. And so, yeah, I think that they're trying to ride the hot hand here. Mason was not very good against Baltimore. I was actually surprised at how bad his PFF grade uh, was. I think you guys gave him like a 46 or something like that. It was pretty bad. Maybe I'm, it was bad, I know. And he had two turnover-worthy plays that were dropped, so people are going to forget about that. But I think he only had two incompletions. So I just thought I, he wasn't good. I knew that, but I didn't think it would be like that much of a negative. So, yeah, it, but it wasn't impressive for sure. 
Um, obviously, that was a group of backups. There were some starters in there for Baltimore's defense for a portion of the game, for sure. And so he struggled. Uh, Buffalo defensively is going to be – I don't know. What kind of a challenge do you think this is going to be for, for him defensively? Because I think Buffalo is a good defensive football team, but we've also seen – them get taken advantage of a few times this season as well. They can definitely lapse in execution and tackling there while they have a good pass rush by committee. There's times where that fades as well. I think this season they are in the top 10, maybe eighth or so in pressure rate. They do everything pretty well. It feels like, but there's not like, they're not like elite in any one area, I would say. Yeah. So first on the Rudolph thing, the fumble, because it was in the pocket is part of his passing grade. I know you to think, oh, think right. like fumble, if you scramble or, you know, design run and fumble, it's going to be a rushing grade. But if you're in the pocket and, and you know, get strip sacked, that would go, you know, in your passing grade. Um, you know, so that, that's part of it too. It's obviously a massive negative to fumble. Um, and you know, for us, whether you recovered or not, that's not what we're grading. Um, you know, you, you lost the ball. So, um, I, the, over the middle of the field, to me, is the thing. They, they have gotten some better play from the, their young linebackers. Um, you know, Dorian Williams, the rookie this year, I want to say, what was it, Terrell Bernard is the is the other young one from a couple of years ago. Who he, yeah. he in particular, I think, has actually like come along pretty nicely and played some good ball. He's um, good there. Like, when I've yeah. seen him play this season, at least, I haven't watched every game, but he when I've watched their All-22, like, he consistently has impressed me. He's a good football player. And I think the beginning, it was more just not really knowing, like more just being overwhelmed mentally than not having the physical ability. And now I think things are slowing down. Um, and yeah, no, he's he's been really good the second half of the year. And I noticed his grade was like super high for us. And I was like, you know, it's linebacker. I'm going to go check check the tape. Um, and and it, it, it matched what I saw. So, but I would still say that over the middle, because it really is kind of Ed Oliver. I know Daquan Jones is now back from injury and he was having a career year to start the season. But up the middle, in terms of their D tackles, in terms of their linebackers without Matt Milano. And then look, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde have been good players for a long time. Hyde has been kind of banged up all year. He's 33 years old. He's not the same player. And Poyer is kind of having a resurgence right now. They're bringing him down in the box a ton. He basically is playing on passing downs like a pseudo linebacker type role, or Taylor Rapp is doing that as well. Uh, the former Los Angeles Ram is a good box safety, but I think that's still it for me. Uh, is attacking over the middle of the field against this team. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the games. Who is it against? Uh, Tampa Bay, that game for sure, where they – it was amazing. Tampa Bay tried to attack the middle of the field, and they made every play. Like, it was just, like, unbelievable. They knew exactly where the route concepts were going. It wasn't like, a, oh, they're so skilled. It was more like, wow, they're just, like – so like these route combinations, they just have it absolutely mapped out um, in terms of their ability to anticipate and make plays on the ball in that area of the field. However, yeah, you're right. This season that has been at times um, an issue for them. And so that, I mean, Pittsburgh offensively, they, they have the ability to play there. They've certainly played there more since Canada um, has been gone. So there there's potential here too, but it's hard to find um, the many players like that you want to pick on necessarily defensively in this game because they've kind of raised the floor just with who they've played personnel wise. Christian Benford is a guy I think that has been one of the, probably the more unsung players in the league. He, you know, he's not a star or anything like that, but he just played at a really high level. He had an interception against Miami. He's played, uh, I think, been probably the. I mean, Douglas has obviously been really good too. But the two of those guys, it was supposed to be what 
Kyrie Elam and Trey White at the beginning of the year. And Elam's just completely fell off the map in this picture. And Benford's been in there. Dane Jackson's a guy they've relied on in the past who isn't great, but he's been able to step in at times. And Tron Johnson's one of the best nickels in the league. Uh, he's healthy, right? I've seen him get injured in multiple. Yeah, he played against Miami. He's yeah. been injured in multiple games this year, but he keeps bouncing back and playing anyway. Um, so, yeah, they, yeah, they're good on the back end. To me, Pittsburgh is obviously going to start trying to run the football, right? Like that's what they want to do. Um, Buffalo has had their moments where they've looked bad against the run, but I believe I was seeing, I'm going to look up the exact stat. I believe I was seeing recently that they've actually played, but the analytics have them as pretty good run defense. Is that right? Yeah, that aligns with what I was looking at earlier. Um, Yeah, and I think it, I do think a big part of it though is like they can defend off tackle like Rousseau's a good run defender Epineza like I said has been taking strides this year like I, I like what they do outside again I'm not saying they're bad at the middle like it's 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 an above average to good defense at a lot of spots um I I, I haven't looked even looked at data I can pull it up right now while we're talking about like you know the, the direction of the run and, and the success de- depending on if you're between the tackles or outside I just when I was watching tape of the last I think I just looked like it's last six weeks against the run and against the pass I just felt like I saw anecdotally more plays and particularly chunk plays and yards after the catch. Um, you know, you mentioned the one game, but that was not the case at all. Um, but uh, over the middle is what I thought I saw. So, yeah, I mean, this season, it looks like they are sixth in rush success rate against uh, so defensively. So they are doing a pretty good job situationally against the run. They're a little bit lower when it comes to EPA 17th. Um, but so they're not quite as good as Pittsburgh's been against the run, but they are, um, definitely a good rush defense, and that's a factor here because Pittsburgh, I mean, when they've had success offensively, that success hasn't been overwhelming, obviously, in most games. You would say value-wise is because of them being able to hit splash plays like in the Cincinnati game down the field. Those have been what's created the most value. But when they've hit, when they've mounted drives, obviously, it's been a lot of the run game. You know, they've been able to sustain things because of how they well they've run the football, and they have two of the best running backs in the league. However, it's going to be hard to be Buffalo that way if you're giving up explosives on the other side of it. So you really have to find a way to do both, I think, a little bit. Everyone's going to be like, just run the football, control, you know, the ground game, and uh, you should, you know, be fine, you know, like keep the ball away from Josh Allen. It just rarely works that way because unless Allen's making mistakes, that changes it. But if you're if if you're talking about a team that isn't turning the ball over in Buffalo, when they get chances, they're probably going to score. And so that's where the challenge uh, starts for you, I think, uh, defensively and offensively. I love when the the lytics match up with the eye test. So on runs between the tackles, we have them as 26th in EPA per rush allowed on the year. So hmm. uh, and they're about league average uh, outside the tackles. So yeah, that, that does seem to be where you can get them against the run. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, it's still not, not like I'm saying they're they're terrible, although you know not, not the greatest stat in the world there. And it's because I mean. I think Ed Oliver has taken that leap this year. I think he's been worth every penny of that, that extension they gave him. Uh, it was probably smarter than to get it done, even though he hadn't quite shown a ton. But they beat the position market growth by about a month, and then the entire you know everyone at the position got paid a million dollars, a billion dollars, I should say. Um, and he's been good in both facets. Getting, but it's also a lot of, and this kind of plays into it. Like he gets upfield, and so I think he's either making a tackle for loss or he's um, you know vacating a gap. And and I think you probably can't take advantage of that, um, you know, with how you scheme it up uh, from from a run standpoint between, between the tackles. Another interesting part of this is going to be turnovers. Buffalo thirty forced turnovers defensively this season, the second in or tied or actually third in the NFL, I guess. Um, and Pittsburgh, though, on the other side of it, I mean, thanks to getting 
Trubisky out of there, I feel like they have they're yeah they are thirty first or sorry they're second in the NFL in tied for second in turnovers lost this season with only sixteen. Only the Texans have lost less turnovers than the Steelers have this season. So a team that never turns it over in Pittsburgh, especially without Mitch Trubisky in there, uh, and against a team that turns it over, that forces tons of turnovers. Um, that part of this is going to be uh, uh, an interesting matchup, especially when you consider the other part of it, because I believe I'm trying to think Buffalo offensively see where they are. Yeah, they have they have. Uh, yeah, that's turnovers. Let's see. Yeah, they are seventh in the NFL in uh, turnovers offensively with 28. Um, so that's also been a big struggle for them is protecting the football. And that kind of aligns with our Pittsburgh's been at takeaways, the Steelers this season, eighth with 28 or 27 takeaways this season. So although I don't know that I believe those numbers are, have that much carryover week to week. And I think there is some randomness to that for sure. We are looking at a decently large sample size here of a team that takes away the football and a team that has turnover issues and a team that creates a lot of turnovers in, in Buffalo, but the Steelers don't necessarily buy into that. So which defense creates more of the splash plays is probably going to be a big part of this. You could certainly be Pittsburgh's defense, create a couple splash plays and still not win the game because you can't do anything offensively. Um, but offense has been better. You have an opportunity to get your playmakers the football. It is a good pass rush for sure. That is a, a terrifying part of this. Uh, benching Vaughn Miller seems wild, but that is kind of where they're at right now. He just hasn't been effective at all this season when he's played. And so they are in a situation where they feel like Rousseau, who's a good player for sure. And uh, I think Broderick's definitely going to have his hands full with Rousseau. Um, and Epinesa as well is is a decent player or a role player. And so it's it's a, it's a lot of good players. It's going to be very difficult for them to keep that pass rush at bay. This is not, you know, even Baltimore's backups and, and you know, them playing with nothing to play for or, you know, Seattle's group or, or this is not those situations in my opinion. Like this is going to be a much, much harder challenge now for this offensive line and frankly they weren't good in some of the weaker matchups they've had recently so the matchups on paper for for pittsburgh are tough like pretty much across the board when you look to me if they're gonna have success they had to win their one-on-one matchups up front with our defensive line and they have to create some turnovers defensively and if you're offensively how do you get george pickens or and or deontay johnson to be able to dominate this game long catch and run splash plays down the field you have to be aggressive if you run run pass all the time which pittsburgh is very apt at doing uh to, to do that uh they won't be successful in my opinion offensively not successful enough to win this game so you have to find ways to create explosives too and i think you can do it but you need your quarterback to be good and you need protection to hold up too sure and i think you do need to get a lot of yards after the catch um so there was no signal in the data in terms of where you're throwing the football but they don't give up a ton of like deep passes they play a lot of zone with which move the ball down the field so yeah the the, the slant route for 85 yard touchdowns is um but yeah no I, I think the last thing i would say too is not to take away from rudolph he's made some plays not even that he's played bad defenses just like as a general statement he hasn't faced a ton of pressure and that is why he was a third string quarterback coming into the year and not a clear number two he's good in a clean pocket he is his arms looked live in every game he's played when things get muddy and when he has to navigate pressure, it gets ugly really, really quickly. And he's going to see more pressure in this game than, than the games he's played so far, I think, by a decent margin. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And how he holds up against that, it's going to be fascinating. And that's the subplot of this. If Mason's good or solid and they lose, okay, you know, no big deal. If Mason's terrible and they lose, 
it's gonna be a it's gonna be a wild week in Pittsburgh after that, you know, because the revisionist history and, and Pickett. And today, Tomlin's rationale for playing Rudolph was he's the hot hand. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be a hot hand when you're not playing because you're injured, um, and even when you come back and you're not playing because even when you're healthy. So yeah, it's kind of a cop out statement by Tomlin, but you wouldn't really expect him to get into that at this point in time either. So. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating offseason whenever that comes. But first, this matchup, I'm actually I'm looking forward to it mainly for me, Brad. And we'll get to I don't think we need to do the draft necessarily of teams, but this week, but we'll get into the splash and clown play players because to me, like Nick Herbig's got to be that guy. Like, can he create the splash play? Like, I think that's the big one. Benton, can he create the splash play? They have so many young, exciting rookies, Porter. Those three guys might be relied on heavily in this game. And that's pretty exciting to me. If if they do that, if they actually say we're going to play our best players finally this season, I feel better about their chances of pulling off an upset than I would if they were just no, we're going to play Marcus Golden a lot, and we're going to get uh, Ogan Joby in there, and you know um, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Armand Watts oh, Mont- is going to play, um, you know, as many uh, Montrevious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Montrevious Adams. They're going to play as many snaps as. Get on a bend. Then we'll probably be sitting there pretty frustrated again next week, which I wouldn't be surprised by, but it would be a real disappointment, I would say. It is because it's just, again, getting in the runway of playing this type of football. The last thing I'll say on the Herbig thing, and like I just want like 25 snaps, not like four. Yeah. If the concern is run defense, which I would think it's probably got to be when we've seen enough pass rush juice, like it has to, they think he can't hold up against the run. He is an undersized guy. I doubt it's ever going to be a strength of his, even though I did talk about. He has good instincts against the run. Um, they made a couple nice plays. I think that was the Rams game, whatever it was. This is a game where if I have Herbig out there and my, my determination is, okay, they're going to run the ball more because they think they have a mismatch running off tackle behind Spencer Brown against Nick Herbig, fine. You, you're you going to say, all right, you're going to take the ball out yeah. of Josh Allen's hands and right. run the ball? Go ahead. Exactly <laughs> so it's almost right. like your concern is like potentially a net benefit to <laughs> to your overall success. Um, because then, yeah, then maybe Josh Allen then does make a mistake, turn the ball over. Um, but, yeah, that, I'm with you. Like, it's going to be a fun, exciting game because there is going to be a lot of contribution from young players, um, which is awesome, you know, come playoff time. For sure. It is going to be very, very fun to see these young players blossom and develop and this is and this is one of the reasons why i wish kenny pickett were playing so bad these are games where you learn a lot about a player you know i love that about the nba the players are measured largely in their careers by postseason success and what's happened in the postseason, how they played in those and obviously the nba benefits from having a much bigger sample size you're playing series like that matters way more like you nfl player you could be talking about one two games and you're you know over five years for a guy and you're trying to draw conclusions about it that's not as fair but it still gives you the opportunity to see what do they do. The bright lights for sure, but the extra game planning, it is. It's a higher level of intensity. It's just psychologically, you can't convince yourself that it isn't that because it is. And so how do they respond in those situations? I think that's absolutely huge. And that's why, yeah, I'm so bummed not to be seeing Pickett in these situations because what if he went out and played awesome in a game like this? Like what that would do for confidence and for the future of the team and where they would be heading at that position. That's why I am bummed about that part of it. Um, what if Mason Rudolph does it though? I mean, you know, I, you know how I feel about that the proposition of that long term. I don't think it's likely, but um, if if it happens, obviously we're going to be having some some serious conversations because playoff success against quality teams um, against playoff teams is a big going to be a big part of the conversation. It should be a big part of the conversation for for evaluating quarterback performance. Um, so lots to look forward to in this one. I'm going to go with Herbig for the splash play player of the game and clown play player of the game. 
my gosh. It's, I mean, we've done Dan Moore too many times to keep going back to that one. I'm going to go Mason Cole here, man. It is just so bad. The snaps, the matchup with Oliver potentially at times, with anybody really, honestly, at times. Like Jones, just, too. Not Jones as well, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like, it just has a chance to be really rough for him, I think. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Mason Cole as the clown play. I feel like it's been building all season. He's made mistakes that have cost them, obviously. But it feels like it's been building all season, him having like a huge gaffe in a big moment. It does. It does. I will go. I'll stick my neck out. Probably a, a ballsy take, but I'll go with um, Pat Frymuth. We'll, we'll get a splash play from Muth. He's basically been non-existent in the past game yeah. uh, the last yeah. couple of weeks. Um, but I do think this is potentially a matchup where you, where you exploit that a little bit. Um, and then for clown play, Mason Cole was was a strong candidate, no question about it. Um, you know, Dan Moore's the bingo free square doesn't count. Um, yeah, Dan Moore. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, Broderick, honestly. Yeah, going, it's going to be tough. It's, I think Rousseau is more on that side of the football. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Could be Kizzy's up back. We didn't mention that, but he's an option. Because he is okay, – I'll, I'll take I'll take Vontae Kazi because you know Josh Allen's looking to uncork it downfield. So that is – yeah. Will KZ get thrown out of another game? That could Ooh. make him Cloud Ooh, yeah, that's one. our new, like, Will, DK, and uh, JPJ yeah. getting a fight. This is, this Which is this week's version. They did not. They did not. It was chippy, but yeah, no. <laughs> it was. Well, it should be a fun one Sunday. Uh, we'll be back later in this week. I want to later in this week just kind of talk about the end of the regular season, evaluate kind of a little bit of how the, the players progress, they improve in certain areas, things like that. And maybe we'll get branched out a little bit into needs. It'll probably be a quicker show on Thursday maybe if we can do it then or something. But maybe we'll talk just about end of the season thoughts and just overall direction with this team and the roster, specifically the players, like who's good enough, who's not, and kind of whether they need to continue to see if some guys get better, if they need to turn the page on some players. Um, we'll kind of have that sort of a conversation perhaps later in the week. So until then, appreciate you all. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Yins No Ball Podcast.